This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here. We're here one more time on Core Brain Journal, and we have another interesting guest. This person is going to be, Moselle Martin is going to tell us about some things that are going to sound completely non-traditional, folks. But what's going to happen is she's going to tell us examples of how they actually worked for her in her professional experience working with prisoners, some very, very challenging individuals who couldn't get their thoughts, their act together. And she's got a very interesting way of doing it. I'm not even going to tell you a word about it until I get this introduction underway. So, Moselle, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chuck. I'm excited. So what we're going to do, first of all, folks, is just have a few words from our sponsors, and then we're going to go ahead and introduce Moselle and go to it. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory. With over 3 million studies, they are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring through laboratory analysis, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrol, and copper challenges. More at CBJ forward slash 115, where I interviewed Dr. Walsh on these issues. They provide a global service with a molecular focus. It's the state of the art of where psychiatry is going, friends. Stay tuned and head over to dhalab.com forward slash core for more specific information over there. And Corporate Journal is also sponsored by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center, the teams in Norfolk, Virginia, where they provide child and adolescent care residentially on an evolved family and interpersonal level and have a global significance as well as they're very TRICARE friendly and a lot of their clients do come from really all over the world. So the important thing there is they have a more comprehensive way of evaluating people that come in to a residential care than just, hey, we're going to put the structure there and do the medications. They have a whole much larger program. We strongly encourage you to run over there to barryrobinson.org forward slash core. That's B-A-R-R-Y, robinson.org forward slash core. So with that, let me introduce you to Moselle Martin. And Moselle is out in Phoenix, Arizona. She is going to tell us about Moselleology. That is her last name. And it is a study that she has that she has done to really figure out a different way to blend the psychology, spirituality, and forensics and to help others into a different improved comfort zone out of where they were uncomfortable into where they can get comfortable. Moselle was adopted at birth and raised as an only child by successful entrepreneurs, yet in a toxic environment nevertheless. So she is grateful for these experiences because they helped her fine-tune the life she wanted. She was always feeling like the girl behind the fence. I chuckled, but it wasn't funny. Her unrelenting, well-defined purpose kept her focused on healing and success, and that's how Moselleology got started. Now, this is where it becomes interesting. She was growing up in the forensic field and serving a short time in the military. Moselle opened a business in 1987, became the first person in modern history to create a personality-changing, brain-altering, and evidence-based program, get this, 
based on changing one's handwriting to ultimately change their personality characteristics. Now, folks, I'm telling you, you're out there, you're going to say, I am seriously skeptical about this. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why is Parker bringing this up? And I hope we can tell you successfully more about it because it sounded very interesting to me. And Moselle has been very interesting offline in our prior conversation. So she's now a forensic expert. She works in prisons and jails. She's as along the line of uh, what Doug Knoll is doing, but she's doing it on an interpersonal level. After 14 years of college, Moselle graduated with a master's degree in forensic psychology, finishing in the top 15% of graduate students worldwide. She holds a doctorate in transcendental psychology and worked as a forensic mental health professional in various correctional facilities across the USA. She currently teaches forensics at a Phoenix area college and is listed in the mental health professional referral network there and nationally. Moselle and her husband, as I said before, live in the Phoenix area. So they have been busy. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Moselle. Listen, the question on my mind, which I asked you a little bit before about, is let's start all the way back at the beginning. I realize you had some difficulties in your childhood, but the interesting thing for me is how you took what you learned and put it in this whole different perspective of not only identifying what the problems are with the person through their handwriting, but using handwriting and some other things that you're going to tell us about in a minute to transform that person in whatever terrible environment they're in. How did you actually make that change? How did the handwriting dimension, which is the odd dimension, if you forgive the expression, yeah. how did that come? How did that come to play? Well, you know, I grew up with these alcoholic and abusive parents as an only child. So I became a very angry child. And I didn't, you know, as most children, don't know how to articulate the feelings or the needs that they have or they want. So instead of saying, you know, I really need to hear I love you or need a hug from my mom and dad, I act out and I break things or I have a temper tantrum or, or you know, that's what children do. We act out our behaviors and our feelings instead of articulating them in a logical way. My parents were, as I said, entrepreneurs. And so I really, as an only child, I pretty much raised myself. So with my anger, as I grew older, I realized I either am going to turn to crime <laughs> or turn to creativity. <laughs> Which was the thought, I can tell. <laughs> and somewhere along the line, I think creativity won over. <laughs> I've never lived in prisons or jails. Oh, good for you. Yes. But I grew up at age 11. I started learning forensic handwriting analysis. Age 11? Age 11. It was my 11th birthday present. So yeah, it was great. Oh, man. And it was a friend of my father's who started teaching me. And I had waited for a couple years because I was really interested at nine years old. But he said, you know, you're a little too young. So on your 11th birthday, if you keep getting good grades and, you know, trying to behave, I'll start teaching you at 11. And so literally he did. So I grew up thinking though, that this is really cool. So I was the kid that was bullied. I was the kid that had no friends. I was the kid that hated everybody. I was angry. I was, and because I was mistreated by my parents, peers, I wanted to figure them out. And so when I started learning handwriting at 11, I was like, wow, I have a secret way of figuring people out. So I really grabbed onto that because it was really, um, it became a purpose for me. 
And once I, I, I really believe as a, as a therapist too, that if you don't have a purpose, you have no drive. And if you don't have the drive, eventually your, your little spark of life just kind of fades away. So that became my purpose. And I held on to it to get myself through the trauma. But then as I was older, um, and how the program developed is I was forced, long story short, to marry a man who I was not, didn't even like to be around. So as he was in the military and I was actually locked into the house when he was gone. So my creativity again took over and I started doing a lot of journaling and I would write lyrics and poetry and do a lot of longhand writing. And because of my creativity, I started changing letter shapes and trying different things. And that became to where I started feeling differently. And finally, I thought, you know what? The only thing that's changed in my life is the way I'm writing. It has, there has to be something here. And so I literally practiced for three years about which letters felt good, which letters made me feel really, really bad, and, and really integrated that with music. And it was just, it all just kind of came together accidentally, honestly. But it really built up my empowerment inside so I could make an escape plan. And I didn't want to be one of those women who was in an abusive relationship only to get out of that one, change faces and places and be in the same type of relationship. Mm. I didn't want to be that woman. So I left and never looked back. And I've never been in a relationship like that since. And the only thing that changed in my life was the handwriting. Well, that's very interesting. So you were actually doing a kind of extended, deep, self-analysis. You were looking at the reality of the way you were actually writing on the paper and you found certain letters. That was interesting as you said that rather quickly, but you found certain letters that were, it sounds like they were more informative than other letters. Absolutely. And I, I tell us about that, that please. Well, and I didn't know that much about handwriting at that time. I mean, I was 18 when this was going on. And so I had only, you know, as a kid, when you're a teenager, you just think that these things are cool. You don't realize there's actually some kind of science behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's uh, unfortunately a lot of the people in the United States look at it as tea leaves or some kind of tarot cards or something like that. Yeah, it does but, sound unusual. No question about it. Absolutely. But it really is very scientific. And so my students who have been mostly law enforcement around the world for the last 30 years have, have said, wow, you know, I started off thinking this was going to be just some kind of bogus crap, but wow. I mean, a lot of the police officers had to be forced to go to class. (laughs) But once they were there, they they couldn't get enough because they realized this actually works really well. And so it it streamlined their investigative process and and things like that. So it really is a very in-depth science. And as far as the letters go, I didn't know at age 18 how powerful it was until I physically felt it. And then I was like, you know, I, I need to do something with this. So Some letters represent character traits. For example, there's a stroke called the felon's claw. And and you can see that shape or that stroke in almost all graffiti around the world. And that means that that person can develop that type of of personality characteristics if they start writing like that. And that type of personality characteristic is one that's not trustworthy, one that could stab somebody in the back, not literally per se, but basically, you know, backstabber kind of mentality, the ones that you'd least expect to snap on you. And so there's different, different ones. And then there's by changing a simple, that felon's claw, making a certain loop, you can change that behavior into perseverance and willpower. So it's, it's how it's written 
the, the shape of the letters versus what the content is. Well, let me stop you right there because you definitely have my curiosity squeaking mm -hmm. around here. So if you would do this, now I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you know, with technology, you could do this. If you could give us, take a picture okay. of a felon's claw from whatever literature you have or from, and then send us a, uh, a felon's claw and a corrected form. Absolutely. That would be great because we put it right in the show notes. I mean, we could just pop it right in there and a person yeah. can say, what in the heck is she talking about here? Moselle's got a, a different kind of take. How could this work and, and maybe practice it themselves and have a little more insight than just talking about it? Absolutely. And the thing is, too, is that we have to keep in mind that language is the number one activity that our brain can do that uses the most neurons, right? The most brain activity. Okay, for lack of better words. Number two is the act of handwriting, and number three is music. So by integrating the three top, you know, heavy-hitting brain activity modalities, then you're creating a program that really, it's kind of like putting your brain neurons on steroids, you know, and it's, it's activating so many of those neurons that are, that really we have lost activity from by going so technological. So as a technique, I'm saving this one question for the break because I really am looking forward to hearing that particular answer. But I got another question, and that is, how do you do this technique-wise? Do you sit there with a person and tell them, try doing the letter this way? I mean, and do they practice doing it and, and then build it into the neuronal network by actually practicing it doing the way that you recommend? How does, what's the technique of this therapy? Right. So the logistics is that if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm struggling with anger. Okay. Excessive anger. I really want to learn how to forgive somebody. Okay. That's a common one. That's why I use that one. Cause that's very, very common. And keeping aside that, you know, anger is a secondary emotion and, and all of that stuff, but let's just focusing on that trait itself. So I have people, I have clients all over the world and it's a 10 month program. Okay. So we learn by repetition to create new habits and that, you know, it takes a while to do that. So 10 month program, they send a handwriting sample to me. I literally break down the whole personality going back to their birth all the way to their current date of the writing sample. And it, it's about a seven, around roughly seven page report about their personality. It's like reading a book about your personality. And I then take and give them work with them one-on-one -on -one to, they choose which traits they don't like, which ones they want to get rid of uh, or change. And then I give them specific handwriting changes to make for that, for their needs, whatever their goals are with the personality. So I would give them a forgiveness handwriting stroke, for example, and take away the anger ones that are showing up. And then they submit a progress note to me every week and a sample, and I give them a progress note every week. And so it builds on this for 10 months. So they send it to you electronically? They take a picture right. with their with their cell phone and shoot it right. out to you? or Any of that, yes. Isn't that amazing? See, I thought it was, uh, yeah, well, I mean, in asking you, so you're, that's your customary way of working anyway. It is, it is. And it's, you know, I have my very first client in 1987 was in Kuwait, and uh -huh. that was before the internet, and it took 45 days for <laughs> the sample to get to me and the progress note to get back to that person. So it took a really long time. They sent the message by camel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then by ship or something. Wow. Yeah, the technology has helped in that way. Yeah, sure. a, that's very, very interesting. Well, this is the question I've saved because I know that's first the technology and the technique is going to be interesting to listeners. 
But I think another question that occurs to me that I want to ask you uh, to elaborate on after our break here is the music. How you select the music, and there's two questions. One is how you know what music would work for that person, number one, or do you have a specific, as you might say, repertoire of music that you know works for achieving the personal development and being able to do the writing at the same time they're listening to that music? Is there a genre that you use? Are there specific customized tunes that you use? We're looking forward to hearing about those answers when we get back, folks. We'll be back in just a moment. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D-H-A-L-A-B.com forward slash core. Well, welcome back, listeners. Here we are. And isn't this interesting that a person is talking about evolving individuals who are In fact, criminals in prison who have really troubled souls, who looking at their handwriting is figuring something out about them, then has a technique by which she can work with them even long distance. And now the question is this, how does that music fit in? Is it customized for the person? Are there specific tunes that I really should listen to to grow my own soul? How does all that work? So there's specific music genres that I do use that will fire up different parts of the brain in relationship to the handwriting. So sometimes, for example, we might have a, let's say, classical music, maybe something from Mozart that somebody will write in the air, air writing, without the actual pen and paper, to the beat of that, with their eyes closed and perhaps the non-dominant hand. So by doing the non-dominant hand, we're crossovering, you know, crossing over to the side of the brain that's not traumatized or not angry or, or whatever their situation is. And so by going into the non-dominant hand, we're going into the feminine side to soften some of the more uh, aggressive personality traits. That's very interesting. Now, let's take it one step further. What about a person who tends to be approaching life through a helpless victim modality who's not angry? So in that particular case, then what we do is we have to, in order for them to be able to really transform their life and and really empower them, we have to create a stable foundation. So if they're, you know, being in a victim mindset is as much a habit as it is to be anything else, right? So we become very habitualized into, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I find the negative in everything, everything's going to go wrong, we expect this stuff, like that's a habit that we've created in our personality. So by 
by taking that, though, we have to unravel some, some pieces such as self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence. And so we would first implement those handwriting changes to build the solid foundation so the rest of it can actually build and stay solid. It's very individualized. It's not, not everybody gets the same letters. It's, it's a very specific program based on that specific personality of that individual. And it's it, at the end of the 10 months, they end up with their own customized alphabet, really. Gee, that is interesting. So for a helpless victim, you don't necessarily go willy-nilly to the William Tell Overture, for example. Right, exactly. Exactly. We <laughs> might start with something that's maybe more zen, or we might start with something that is is maybe techno, or I mean, it really, it really is very diverse based on that individual. Now, you said another thing aside before we started, which I thought was very interesting, and that is the meditative Zen piece, the transpersonal side. Right. So, you know, this is yet another dimension. I mean, you, 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 there's so much to be talking about in, in, uh, in a brief interview like this, but I think it's worthy, and people are wondering. You did mention the word Zen. So it sounds like there's a spiritual element that's coming into it that is contributes to the transformational activity. Could you elaborate on how that takes place? Right. So I have my doctorates in transcendental. And basically the word transcendent, right, means that that humans have an aspect of, you know, God's nature or power, right? We're created in an image of him if you're religious. If you're not religious and you're more spiritual, then we have the universal aspect. We're much more than just our physical body. The boundaries of our physical body. And so when we combine Maslow's humanistic psychology with his transpersonal psychology, we have those Western schools of thought psychology combined with the Eastern schools such as Buddhism. And we create the two together, we make transcendental. So that's where it comes in is really being able to work with the body, mind, and, and the spirit because I noticed working in jails and prisons that that spirit part is often very missed. And our bodies and minds don't work together. We would physically want to do something, but we, five seconds, our mind will talk us out of it. And I call it the itty-bitty, you know, shitty committee up here. I don't know if I can say that or not, but those words, that mental bullies that are always saying, well, don't do that. You tried it once, you know, don't bother doing it again. You're not going to succeed. Like all those, you know, negative, the recordings we hear all the time. And so if our body, mind, and spirit don't work together, we're just self-sabotaging repeatedly. So in that construct, the person has internalized uh, some negative message. Right. And right. then that, me that negative message rules their entire creative evolutionary cycle that they could be a part of. And they've got to work with that negative message in some constructive way. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you know, the alphabets that we learned with in school, for example, the Palmer method, which many people learn from, they actually, all the alphabets were taught in a specific way to control the students in one collective way. And so that's why they wanted to clone the way that the handwriting was made. And it really suffocated and suppressed the individual's creative side, their individual potential, and it kept their self-worth and self-esteem very low comparatively. And so we grew up with a lot of conformists that didn't really push the buttons or push the boundaries to go out and do something big and grand. Now, so, that is a very interesting statement right there. I mean, that, that is a deep, I mean, you yeah. said that very casually, but I mean, you think of all the educators who are thinking about this as you're saying something in, in considerable innocence here that yeah. the entire Palmer method has 
had a restrictive effect. Yeah, absolutely. All the alphabets have, but that one's the first one that popped into my mind. But yes, absolutely. Is that right? So do you have it? Teaching handwriting stuff in schools, they stopped being able to control the students as well. That is a wild, wild thought. Do you have a contrarian method of training handwriting (laughs) that would fit more with the evolutionary plans that you have uh, for student development? Right, because one of the books that I wrote is, is really about a healthy alphabet to teach. I always say it's a book for healthy letters for a healthy mind, but it's a book for teachers who care and homeschooling parents. Well, I'm looking here at your material, and I want to make sure that I include that in the show notes. I've got thegirlbehindthefence.com. I've got yeah, Moselleology. Right. What's the name of that book, please? So it's teaching. Are you talking about the book about teaching the... Um, the, the script. Okay, about the handwriting, the yes, handwriting letters. Okay, it's Teach It the Right Way, Healthy Letters for a Healthy Mind. That's very interesting. And it's Teach It the Right Way, W-R-I-T-E. Oh, my gosh, that's very interesting. So then do you do that uh, beginning when, like the third grade? Actually, if the youngest that you can do it, you know, like first grade would be perfect. Oh, is that right? And hand, personality traits are locked into handwriting at age 13. So if you can get to things that are um, that, you know, for example, if we have parents who are listening that have an out of control teenager, it's easier to change things that are closer to the age 13 than it is to say somebody who's 73 because they've just been locked in so much longer. Well, that does bring us to another point here, which I was thinking about a moment ago. And that is, you know, I put my psychiatrist hat on here a little bit because this is intriguing what you're talking about. And one would wonder, what do you do when you hit the wall with somebody? I mean, how do you actually pull yourself out of that conundrum where a person is moving along with you They see that this might have some potential. They're working with you, but somehow they either don't understand you or they're not able to move forward. What have been your your problems and resolutions in that when you actually hit that wall? There's an exercise in the program that I call Allie, and it's it's got a really um, big metaphysical connection to it, but at the same time, it really helps prepare the subconscious to take the changes because, as you know, based on your training, that the subconscious controls almost all of us, right? (laughs) 95% of us. Mm -hmm. So this program, instead of working the traditional psychology way, which is really working with the consciousness going backwards, this program works with the subconscious going forward. And so we, it subconsciously, this, this exercise prepares people to ready their, their neurons for the changes because otherwise the subconscious is very quick to say, okay, I don't, I don't know what this is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject it because I don't know the predictability of it. And so so, I, how, how does that, go ahead. I'm sorry. How does that happen then? Go ahead. So there's a specific way to w- write the word alley that actually prepares these neurons. But what happens is the alley program differs for everybody. So some person might only have to write it for maybe two weeks. Some people might have to write it for eight weeks. It really depends on how blocked their mentality is. So if they're, if they tend to be more procrastinators or ones to find fault or more critical minded, it's going to take them longer because they're in that box of really being very closed minded. And so then I have to do changes to reverse the procrastination, reverse the self-critical, which is why it's a 10 month program because it takes a while to weed through those, get through the onion peels, so to speak. So what happens is you can see that by the way they're writing, you can actually say, okay, here is the impediment that I see from this structure of this writing example, this is what the problem is. I can see it immediately within seconds of looking at it. 
the very that first time. That is amazing. That is amazing. And, and I'm sure what happens is the people are so happy that you can just kind of, you're not seeing through them. You're seeing through their writing them. Yes. And actually it's been very, was really a comment I hear repetitively from people, you know, in society, but also, you know, people who are incarcerated is that, oh my God, I've tried to explain how I feel to people so many times and nobody understands. And now I haven't had to say anything to you and you finally get it. (laughs) And they haven't had to say anything is because usually what comes out of somebody's mouth, as you know, if it's something that was really traumatic for us, we can't just consciously recall it. Oh right? yeah. There's yeah. so much blockage. So we, we say to our psychologist or our, or whoever we're talking to our mental health person, we say what we think the problem is, but that's not usually what it is. <laughs> what a satisfying activity that would be for you. I mean, I've had the same thing happen with brain scans, sitting down with a person and I, and I can say, here's how you handle an argument because you can actually see that in a brain scan. And it's been very satisfying for me as well to look at the laboratory testing, for yeah. example, from a methylation process. And I can say, look, I don't really know you from Adam, but this is probably what you do under these circumstances. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. And they're like, and, you know, all I'm doing is reading the laboratory work, which is kind of what you're doing. So we yeah. have different methods by which you can drive right down to what's going on in the brain scan. Of course, it's the neurophysiologic level of activity on, on the brain cells. In the laboratory testing, it's things like methylation process, which is really molecular physiology. And what you're doing is you're in a whole other level, which is kind of a confluence of emotions, history, trauma. Right. And it's, it's just like other sciences where it doesn't predict anything in the future, but based on what's currently in front of us, we can see what the likelihood is, how they're going to react in a given situation. Just like you can do is with, you know, this is how you handle blank, right? Yeah. You can see how that could be just based on what we currently have in front of us as a science. And by the way, this is an evidence-based program. I had a research psychologist go through and do all, like whatever she does. And um, she put out some reports and we've had brain scans taken before, during, and after the program. So it is an evidence-based science. So that's great. I mean, that's going to be, you know, so the, the person, the skeptic that comes around can find some of those references in the show notes because this is something we really try to do here at, at Core Brain Journal and say, you know, this may sound fringy, But, you know, we've actually seen downstream evidence that this has a very specific neurophysiologic activity downstream from unwinding these knots in a person's mind. Right, exactly. It's very, very powerful. Well, Moselle, this has been so interesting. We really appreciate you coming on board. In closing, tell us where you'd like us to go to find out more information from you, connect with you. What would be the best way for that to happen? Well, especially if we're, if we're interested in the program, rewrite, rewritemylife.org is the best place to go for the program information. But my personal site where there's over 30 freebies of all kinds on there, uh, it's at mosellemartin.com. Okay, good, good. Oh, there it is. Yes, good. Well, you know, that is very, very interesting. Thank you again for talking to us. If you want to come on again if you have something. uh, Hey, I was down in the uh, state penitentiary. I don't know. It's probably not in Phoenix. They wouldn't have a state penitentiary. (laughs) But And I was talking to this person, and this is what transpired. We're always interested in an evolution like that because anything that can contribute to the evolution of humankind, I mean, it sounds a little grand, but 
I mean, that's what we're about. Uh, we're looking at the big picture. And, and you really have shed some very interesting light on a completely different level that the ordinary person wouldn't be thinking about. And I want to thank you very much for coming on board. Thank you, Chuck. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you very much. We'll do it again sometime. Have for a great sure. day. All right. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to Corbrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.